you might be thinking, what has that passage got to do with us? Well, we'll see. Last week, in our introduction to the book of Leviticus, we saw how the focus of the book is the atonement and holiness. All that is written in the book of Leviticus is centered around this, this theme. But before we go any further, I need to emphasize that atonement and holiness are the work of God. It is His gracious provision to fallen humanity. The purpose is the redemption of God's creation to bring humanity back to Himself. We can easily see that atonement is the work of God. That's not difficult. However, much of our understanding of holiness has been distorted by the self in us. Both atonement and holiness, they are relationship, they are relation, relational entity effected by a holy God. If our sins have been atoned by the work of God, and then we have been brought into an intimate relationship with Him, then we cannot because God is holy. So, it is God who does His work of sanctification in us. And that's uh, what is written in Leviticus. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I think it's uh, Nothing is clearer than that. It's God who makes us holy. You don't make yourself holy. So, our doing is not the prerequisite for holiness. Our doing is the result of being made holy by God. So, holiness is relational. You cannot be holy apart from your relationship with God. So this morning, we're going to see an interesting piece of garment on the high priest of Israel, Aaron, that Aaron put on for his dedication or his inauguration after the tabernacle has been erected. And this tradition is carried out today in some prestigious uh, inauguration, like we all know the graduation services, coronation, and during this uh, inauguration, colorful regalia are put on with much pomp and circumstance. Earlier on this month, we saw the setup of the tabernacle, which symbolizes the dwelling place of God. It was the place of worship because God was there. If you remember the uh, layout of the tabernacle, the Israelites were only allowed in the courtyard. They come through the entrance into the courtyard, and right there is the altar 
And that's where they make the sacrifice. And they go no further. This is the place where they bring the lamb for the sacrifice. And that's God's provision for the remission of their sins. And apart from the altar in the courtyard, the rest of the worship or services were done by the priest and the high priest, Aaron and his sons. Aaron as the high priest is a picture of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And what we need to note in worship is the role of the priest and the high priest. Especially the role of the high priest in the most holy place where God sits or where God dwells on the mercy seat. So often our idea of worship is what we do. Rather, from the model of the tabernacle, all we do in worship is to acknowledge our sins and to accept the sacrifice that Christ has done for us on our behalf. And it is only that, after that, that we are made priests in the service of God. And we won't go into that um, today. In setting up the tabernacle, we also noted that the tabernacle was anointed with oil and action that symbolizes that all the objects are set apart for God and therefore they are all holy. So God is a holy God. And since the tabernacle represents the dwelling place of God, it needs to be set apart as a holy place. And oil is used for this action. And in today's reading, we see the way in which Aaron and his sons were consecrated or set apart for the service of God. And we continue to observe this setting, this setting apart for the service of God in various uh, avenues. We do not use oil to anoint them, though some Christian groups continue that practice. So, when we set apart a pastor or a deacon in the service of the church, we assemble the church just like Israel assembled for the dedication of their high priest. So, we assemble the church for the acknowledgement of their role. And the vow of consecration is saved, and the church leaders call on God to set them apart for that service. We, we need to take that act of consecration, that act of setting apart, seriously. Because in doing that, what we are saying is that it is not because of their ability that they are called into service, but rather because of what God has bestowed on them, what God has put into them. In other words, their ability to serve is because of God's gift. That the gift that God has given to them. And therefore, it is only fitting that we make that acknowledgement. And that, God's, that gift of God in them is what enables them to continue in service. So, the consecration of Aaron and his sons is more about 
what God is doing rather than what they can do for God. Interestingly, uh, in the dedication of Aaron, we do not find uh, a speech by Aaron as to what he hoped to achieve, quite unlike our modern day uh, dedication services where the person sets out a promise of what they will achieve. Um, well, in our reading today, that doesn't seem to be necessary. A point that must not be missed, and I say this again, is that the dedication of Aaron as the high priest has influence to Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And as we look at the garment of Aaron, every piece of the garment has significant meaning for our understanding of Jesus Christ and what, he, what Jesus Christ has done for us and continues to do for us. I really haven't touched on the passage this morning. I have taken a, a back-to-front approach. You know, normally... Um, you would ex look at the text, explain the passage, and then make the connection to our present day service. I've done it back to front. Uh, and, and, and the reason I've done it in reverse is that when we come to see the passage, we can more easily see the way it relates to us in our present day. So, this act of consecration is not a private matter. It is an act witnessed by the whole community of Israel. The whole community of Israel was told to assemble to witness the process, just like the induction of a pastor and any leader of the church is an event for the whole church, because we are there to support them. And there are several actions required in this process, and I will list them one by one as we go on. Firstly, we see Aaron and his sons are washed, and then an inner robe was put onto them. And thirdly, an ephod. Ephod is a, well, it's a garment, we'll talk about it later on. The ephod was put on. And then the, a breastplate was put onto the garment. And then there are two objects, the Urim and Thummim. Well, we'll talk about that later. There are two, two objects given to the high priest. And then on his head was put a turban. It's a headdress with a golden plate in front. Well, those are the things that we're going to talk about. Now for some details and explanation. Go back to the first one. Well, before we look at that, to begin with, <clears throat> before the whole dedication can commence, a sin offering was presented to the Lord. In other words, before Aaron can be dedicated, he has to present a sin offering, an offering for himself before he could be in the service of God. Of course, our Lord Jesus did not have to do that because he is sinless. However, he offered himself as 
the Lamb. He became the sin offering for us. Jesus offered himself as a sin offering on behalf of humanity. So that being so, the sacrifice of Christ is a once-for-all event. And yet, we need to acknowledge this continually in our lives, as we are so prone to deviate. So, even though Aaron was the high priest, he had to offer a sin, uh, offer a sin offering for himself. And we need to do that constantly, coming to God, knowing that we are so prone to go astray. So firstly, after the sacrifice, Aaron and his, sin, and, and, and his sons are washed. They need to be cleansed before they can be commissioned. The sacred office is not to be taken lightly. Humanity is still in sin, and Aaron was no exception. He was heavily involved in the saga of the golden calf. True, we have been forgiven by Christ, by his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. But we need to be conscious that sin still resides in our lives, in our inner being. And this awareness makes us ever more so dependent on the provision that God has put in place for our forgiveness. You see, we have been so conditioned to stand on our rights as, as if we can do no wrong. And there's no defect in our reasoning. And we are taught that, you know, if you're in a car accident, you don't admit liability at all. The fault is always on the other side. You see, we need to retune ourselves as we come before God and as his people, we need to realize that we can so easily veer onto the wrong path. Go back to the tabernacle again. Right at the entrance, as you go in, is the altar. And behind that altar is a laver, a basin for washing. And that basin is provided for the priests that they wash before they enter the holy place. We mustn't take things for granted. It may be a ritual for Israel, but it is also very essential for us. That, that was a symbolic washing, because only the exposed part of the body was washed. And this has reference to our baptism. Note that this washing is not for the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins was in the sacrificial land. This washing highlights the continual cleansing that is needed in our lives. For us today, our baptism is on account of Christ's baptism. That is why Christ, Jesus Christ told John the Baptist, Go ahead with it. Don't argue with me. You know? So, since we are so dependent on Christ and on His sufficient work, we do not need that ritual cleansing. We do not need to be baptized again and again. Having said that, we need to be mindful that we need to come continually back to the cross for our cleansing as we are so prone 
to deviate from the path that God has for us. Next, we come to see some of the garments, uh, the inner robe. Well, yeah, that's a good picture. Um, so what we see, the white bit is the inner robe. And uh, this colorful thing with the stash is the ephod. That's the breastplate. That's the shoulder plate. And that's the headdress and the gold plate. So those are the pieces of the garment. So firstly, Aaron needs to put on an inner robe. See, Aaron cannot approach the holy place with his usual garment. The office of the priesthood is a holy office and a new robe has to be worn. God will not use what we have in his holy office. A clear separation has to be made from our past. That's what setting apart means. You see, go back to Abraham. Abraham cannot continue as the father of a great nation while remaining in his homeland. He has to make a separation. He needs to make that clear separation as he moves to Canaan, the land that God promised for him. I'm not saying that we need to disconnect with our family and heritage. I'm not saying that. Because even though Abraham left his homeland, Yet in scripture, the ancestry of Abraham was listed. It was not and cannot be deleted. The ancestry of Abraham remains while he was told to go to a new land. What we need to note here is that we cannot continue in, our cult in the culture of our upbringing, whether it be the East or the West, we cannot continue to practice or serve God within the premise or the beliefs of our own culture. In other words, we cannot justify what we do by saying, well, because we are Chinese or British or whatever. The reason for doing things, the reason for the things that we do, is because we are the new people of God. We love God and we love our neighbor. That's the new culture that we have. And it is out of this new relationship that we act. I'm not saying that we cannot have chicken rice or pizza for our lunch. That's external consideration. You can have what you like. But what I'm saying is, what drives us has to be the new culture. The new relationship with Christ, loving God and loving our neighbor. A clear reason for putting on a clean robe is given by Paul when he says to us that we need to put on Christ. Put on Christ, make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. We cannot do it because it satisfies us. We serve because it satisfies God. The old self 
and all that is inherent in it has to go. In its stead is the new union in Christ. A union that demands a new framework, a new framework of thinking, a new framework of living that revolves around loving God and loving our neighbour. And there's no other commandment, as Jesus said. So next, the ephod was put on. What is the ephod? It's not a word that we hear or use. The ephod is, a, is part of the priestly garment covering the back, the breast, as you can see here, held together by shoulder straps and fastened by a girdle. So that colourful thing is the ephod. It's the central piece of garment on which uh, a few things hang. So this, this ephod is a piece of the priest's garment where all the accessories are attached, shoulder straps, breastplate, and the urim and thummim. Come to that later. What is not described in our reading are the shoulder straps. Two shoulder straps, left and right. And on the shoulder straps, on each shoulder strap, are six ghost, uh, onyx stones set in gold, six on each side. And these stones, these precious stones, represent the twelve tribes of Israel. So, in other words, the picture that we have got here is. The whole of Israel sits on the shoulder of the great high priest. So the high priest of Israel carries on his shoulders the burden for the whole of Israel. He supports them and he bears their pain. I'm sure you know the song. There's a song that says, I'm strong when I'm on your shoulders. We all know that song. And the writer probably has this in mind when he wrote it. And so it is with us. We do not stand on our own as if we are capable in our own self to move as we will. Some of you may remember and know him, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. Um, I used to sing that. I thought it was a great hymn. I was young and full of myself. But I think differently now. I don't think you stand up for Jesus. What we ought to really sing is, stand up, stand up on Jesus. That's the picture given to us. Not to stand up for Jesus. You stand on Jesus. And as we stand on Jesus, He provides us with the propulsion to move as He wishes. Not with our feet running all over the place, doing what we please. Next, you see that breastplate. This is another pretty piece of garment. Again, the breastplate contains 12 precious stones, each representing a tribe of Israel. In other words, it represents us. Now, mind you, that is a breastplate, not a head plate. 
we'll talk about the head plate later on. Because the head plate says something else. This is the breastplate. In ancient Israel, the heart is the seat of intelligence, purpose and will. We don't think like that now. We think it's all here, up in the head. You see, the new work of God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is a work on the hearts of people, not on the minds. We have turned this work intellectually onto the mind and we can do it so well. You think that this is a, <clears throat> well, somebody thinks that this is a kind of a lecture theatre and your Bible study group is a tutorial. No, not like that. You see, so much of our ministry is intellectual. It's on the mind. I'm not saying that that is not important. Don't get me wrong. The Spirit gives to some of us the gift of teaching. And that's very important. What I'm trying to say is that we need to change the priority. To work on the heart first. You see, why do I say that? You see, teaching people to love doesn't do much for them. Especially when there is the will to love. It is only pharisaical. You know, like the Pharisees teaching that if you do this and do that, God will be pleased with you. Well, there's no point telling people that. But, if you love them, it brings about a profound change. Most people will forget the Sunday sermon by the time they reach home. However, when they are loved, they feel it, they know it, they remember it, and they jump up and they say, what a, what a feeling. You know. The love of the high priest for his people is continual. It is always on his heart. That's the breastplate. We are always on the heart of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. And that's why the writer to the Hebrew says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. That is love. Now we come to these two objects, the Urim and the Thummim. These are two objects given to the high priest. It's not, it's not in our picture here. Um, there are two objects um, given to the high priest, and we don't know very much about what these two objects are. They are probably two pieces of wooden sticks or discs that the high priest would throw on, on, the, the, uh, on the floor or the table in order to discern the will of God. Um, so much we know. Um, 
And that is the essential task of, of the high priest in the service of God. He is not at liberty to do according to his whims and fancies, whatever he wants. He cannot be pragmatic, as if, if I do this, you know, uh, it will bring about all that effect. As is so common today, uh, our society is a pragmatic society. He has to do the will of God, whether he likes it or not. He can do no other. Our great high priest Jesus Christ has always carried out the will of the Father in that perfect communion. Today, we don't use these objects because in God's grace, He has given to us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. He has also preserved for us the Bible, the living word from which He speaks to us. And we need both the word and the spirit in order to be in a continual dialogue with God. And that's the only way to discern the will of God today. We then look at the, the turban, the headdress. There's a golden plate in front. The covering, why, why is it that he has to have this thing wrapped around his head? Um, the covering on the head of Aaron is a constant remind, reminder for him that the service of God has to be marked with humility. A consciousness of the presence of God. It is also a visible symbol of the high priest in Israel. And what is more important is that right in front of that turban, there's a gold plate there. And on the gold plate was inscribed the words, Holy to the Lord. Be holy for I am holy, is the repeated refrain in the book of Leviticus. The focus of the book is atonement and holiness. Aaron must not forget that, and neither must we. Holiness is relational, the result of our relationship with God, not the, re not the result of what we do. Holiness for Aaron has to start with the sin offering for himself, as we have noted earlier on. However, for us today, that has been done by Christ. And all we need to do is to acknowledge our sins and to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers to us. Then God gives to us a spirit to bring us to Christ, to be incorporated into the body of Christ. And that is holiness conferred on us. And all that preparation of Aaron is pointing to what we have as our great high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way 
in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace in a time of help. There is a difficulty in reading Leviticus. We all know that. That is, Leviticus is full of instructions for offerings which has little to do with us. And that's why we disregard the book. On the contrary, as we understand that, that those instructions was what was given to Israel, and in that instruction is the precursor pointing on to Christ, the Christ to come, and then we value the pattern that is given to us in Leviticus. As we have pointed out when we spoke regarding the prophet, we need to have a vantage point. You see, for Israel, the vantage point was the instructions that they have. But from the instructions, they look forward to the coming of Christ. So as we come to the Old Testament, we need to look forward to the coming of Christ. But for us today, our vantage point is different. We look back to the Christ who has come, and we look forward to the Christ coming again. And that being so, those are our two anchor points. So, the Christ that has come, and the Christ that is coming again, while we live between these two anchor points, then we need to fashion our lives as we move to look forward to Christ's return. Following the description of uh, Adrian's, uh, Aaron's garment, there are two other things we need to note. Firstly, Aaron did, made a sin offering. He did one for himself, and now that he has been made holy, he made another sin offering on behalf of Israel. And that's why the altar is put at the entrance of the tent of the tabernacle for the sin offering. This one offering of the sacrifice put his hand onto the head of the lamb. It, it symbolizes identification, offerer and the lamb. So when the lamb is killed, it's as if the offerer, uh, offerer sacrificed himself. So, it is with Christ, the sinless Son of God, who gave himself on the altar on our behalf. And we identify ourselves with his sacrifice, as if it was I who died on the cross. We need to have that identification. It is not as if that I'm okay, Christ is over there, he died for me, it's okay with me. No, that's, you are separating yourself from Christ. You need to identify yourself. Just as Aaron puts his head, put his hand on the head of the man. Second thing we need to note was that after that, a burnt offering was made. Now, this, uh, you know, the sin offering is an offering for sin. A burnt offering is an offering for fellowship. It is an offering 
for renewed relationship with God. It's a renewal of relationship. And this is also mandatory. In Aaron's case, it is his calling into the service of God on behalf of Israel. And what he did was symbolic of the coming of Christ. Again, we do not practice this, this offering. We don't practice this burnt offering. But we have, need to have that renewed relationship with Christ each day of our life. Just as Jeremiah said, that's the Chinese, right? Yeah. This is what Jeremiah said. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This renewal, we need to have that constantly. And this is in this particular act of the burnt offering, which is special. And we need this burnt offering each morning as we wake up to see the new mercies of God. However, in this burnt offering, there's a, there's a special thing that they have to do. Then, he presented Aaron's son and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of their right foot. Why? Kind of meaningless for us, you know. We don't do that, but no, we must do that. And this is a symbolic significance of putting the blood on the earlobe, thumb, and big toe. The reason is this: the ear has to do with hearing. The thumb, representing the hands, is with the doing, and the big toe, representing the feet, with the moving. So, what is implied here is that Aaron and his sons need to pay attention to the hearing of God's words, which is the basis of their obedience. The doing and the moving need to follow on from the hearing. What they do and how they move need to be in the will of God. And that's why they were given the Urim and the Thummim. Now, we don't dab blood on the ears of our leaders, but we need to be constantly hearing the living word within us. From our reading of the written word, we need to ask the Spirit of God to translate that to words that live within our hearts, propelling us to action and motion in the service of God. And I want to finish with giving to you the words of Paul. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world. We need to be separated, set apart, holy, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Remember? the gold plate on Aaron's turban, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, the Urim and the Thummim, what is good and acceptable and perfect.